You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back, everyone. Hopefully, everybody's doing well. Um, I'm on the road here traveling, and uh, I expect that... Um, you know, my season is going to be pretty busy with clients, and, uh, you know, I suggest that anybody who's trying to get on the schedule, please do so. I don't know if I'm completely out of space, but I'm finalizing everything with my client schedule this year. I am putting some clients into 25 if you want work done in 25, and then, of course, cutting. I, I, you know, we're, we're trying to do some some opportunities with more clients to make sure they're on the schedule for cutting with my partner, and then... Um, you know, my master class, I'm going to keep pushing this and I am going to get the curriculum out. I want to get that filled up and done so I don't have to worry about keeping the market, marketing that, that particular class. I want people to come to, to get the hands-on experience. This is advanced level stuff. So when I visit a client, you know, we typically do some, some basic, but some advanced. This is completely, you know, advanced stuff. So you get to see, you know, in the field, you know, really kind of emphasizing change examples suggestions i can i'm going to critique the heck out of my property so you can see the things that i i do and don't like it'll be a, a great lessons learned type um again a, a event that, that i'm having on my own property so please get a hold of me i'd like to get that booked up and closed the other piece of it is um uh let me see oh Jim Ward and I might be doing something. I mentioned that in the last podcast. Jim and I might be cutting and working on a property together. We may do a field day for folks. That's going to be a lot different my day. And I think Jim and I might do a podcast on that together. I just I just talked to him the other day. I got We got to 
shore some things up and then talk to a client and a few other things. But I'll uh, there'll be more on the on, on that. But that that is different from my master class. So I just I want to be clear with everybody. But I really really want people to uh, take this master class because I I think it'll be a game changer. Anybody in the Northeast or flying anywhere in in the area, I think you'll be very impressed with the work that I've done and kind of the philosophies and really kind of it's, it's advanced level. It's four or five hundred level and. You know, we're, we're going to go all the way from soil to, uh, you know, doing the, the timber manipulation and management. So, all right, enough of that. Uh, one of my favorite guys is back, Rocky Burris. Rocky Burris from Tennessee, who everybody should know from now, SA Farm Management. You know, he's a, he's a killer. He's proven himself again this year, killing the biggest bucks on this podcast, much bigger than the juries and the rest of those folks. No, I, don't, I don't know, Rocky, I'm putting pressure on you, but you seem to get it done every single year. And I think, you know, I think I'm... I think we want to talk about that today, how that's even feasible, because I think most people don't understand, how is this guy this damn successful every single year? Well, thanks for that pressure. You put it on me today. Of course. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but, well, we, it's uh, definitely been a, a great year. God's been blessing me. I, I've, I've had, uh, I had a lot of pressure on me at the beginning, of course, before you get that first one, you're kind of stressed out and thinking – all right, the buck pitchers are rolling in. Everybody's getting deer, and and my big deer's missing, or my big deer's not not telling me enough to go in yet. And I'm starting to worry that something else might get them, you know. But it ends up, uh, it's it's end up here it's lately. In the last couple of weeks, it's just turned on fire. And and normally my rut's not that hot, but this this uh, this year I, I think I figured out a couple of things that really helped me. So. Yeah, I've think, been blessed. Yeah, and I think we're going to dig into that. So you killed four deer this year, four mature bucks this year, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I've killed a, a four-year-old, two five-year-olds, and a seven-year-old. So the velvet deer that you killed early in the season, um, when was that? What, what was that? September? That was uh, August. August. Um, okay. That velvet hunt in Tennessee is August twenty-fifth, sixth, and seventh. So. Okay. I killed him on the first sit this year. So okay. that was a great way to start the season. <laughs> yeah. And that was a heck of a deer. And then you've, you've obviously had, I think you just killed a deer, what the other day. So you've, you've really kind of stacked them up through the season. So yeah. And go ahead. No, I think, I think a lot of people want to know, like in a big picture schema, you know, what are you doing that gives you these opportunities? Cause a lot of people don't have, they, they don't even, you know, have chances at multiple deer, let alone, you know, having all this intel and information. And I think people kind of wonder, like, how do you break it down? And, you know, what, what gives you, first off, what gives you the opportunity? And then from the opportunity, how do you make it happen? I think people just want to understand that. So I kind of like set a bar for myself to to try to hunt and, and harvest a, a deer pushing 160 every year for Tennessee. I feel like that's like, that's a deer that's going to be top five to 2% deer. And, and I, I mean, we all see the one thirties and one forties, uh, you know, once you get above one forty, even at one forty, that's usually a really, really great deer for Tennessee. So, I mean, I'm trying my best to basically put my fingerprint as many places as possible. So I tried to build a system where I could help, farmers i could help landowners i can help whoever that are looking to get their properties leased i'm going out and and grinding in the off season and trying to 
connect with these people and offer them my services. So basically I was like, look, I can manage your property. I can manage the people that hunt your property. And you just tell me how much money you want for your property. And then I, I deal with the farmers. I deal with everybody. And I try to put this little, basically almost like a club, build this little club per property. And that gains me another fingerprint on the map to try to find a big deer. So each one of those properties I manage and I'm able to hunt, but I bring in a couple members and those guys help me fund the, the property and then also help me manage it. Um, and then we of course try to reach neighbors and stuff to try to all work on the same playing field, but it doesn't always work. I mean, you always, you know, the neighbor always wants to talk, great to you in your face and then send you a picture of one of your deer that you're going to pass. So, I mean, you never, you can't trust everybody, but you just can do your best. So I think the next piece of this is you got a, a slew of properties. And of course you're trying to pick select areas where, you know, you think the quality is decent on those properties. And I'm assuming sometimes you get a chance to do some management work. Is that typically how it works out? Yeah. So I usually try to ask um, the owners, if they're okay with some TSI work, you know, uh, just to, I usually do a lot of the TSI work more for, uh, funneling and, and controlling movement. If I do want to improve an area for deer to bed there more, it, it seems to be, uh, what I'll do there too. But, but you know, a lot of these properties, it seems like that I get or right after somebody has select cut and a lot of hunters, and I, I might, be, might be letting one of my secrets go, but a lot of hunters just are just upset that their property got select cut and it just looks rough to them. It looks bad and they just can't fathom going back in those woods and looking at it just trash, they think. So they just leave the property. Well, that opens the door for somebody new. And of course I've had, I've had feelers out where I just all the time asking people, do you have anything? Do you know anybody? And then I'd, I'd come up, well, this property, we cut it last year. And I've, I've actually talked to some loggers and they go and they kind of open the door for me some too. It's like, we just cut this farm. I'm pretty sure nobody's hunting it now. And if you want it, I can get you contact. So, and then that's what, where it starts. And, and the people that join in with me, they know, that I understand deer and I understand what it takes to grow big deer. And definitely when your property has been select cut, it's opening up the canopy. The growth's going to be unreal. It's going to be so thick in those woods. I mean, deer can bed five yards off these food plots and stuff, and you don't even have to get in there and you can, you can harvest some of the bigger deer. So, I mean, that's kind of been my secret is trying to follow the loggers around and, and, pick up anything that I can pick up. I have certain farmers that, you know, when they pick up something new, they, they offer it to me cause they know I'll, I'll respect their land and respect their crops and pay them to leave crops behind and stuff like that. So it all works out. So, I mean, there's no question in my mind, you know what you're doing. And I think people follow you because, you know, you, you've got a good plan and uh, you know, you do guiding. I mean, there's, you, you do, you're kind of a Jack of a lot of different trades at this point. Um, but your your specialty does seem to be, you know, these older age class deer. And I think it's tough for people to recognize that some areas are conducive to that and not. And then, you know, how can you influence or how can you change a dynamic in an area where 
people want to get on board with that. I think that's that's where they generally struggle. They're like, okay, so I've got this great property that I picked up. I had a conversation with a client this morning. I've, I've been I've been doing meet and greets with clients every day. You know, they they inquire for me, and I get to talk to them and learn about their property and their their values and who they are, and and that's just part of the whole thing. And and part of it, the conversation is, have you talked to your neighbors? And very rarely will I have a client that says, yeah, we know our neighbors, but, you know, we don't have an intimate relationship with them. And I'm, I'm like, boy, that just right there alone is, is uh, that sets you back a little bit. So I kind of want to know, like, part of this has to be the neighborhoods that you're in. And, and what are you doing in those neighborhoods to make, make it better? Um, well, I mean, the biggest thing in ours is, is we're primor- primarily ag country. I mean, there's a lot of ag on all these properties that I get. I mean, I did I did pick up a 300-acre CRP, which is basically just grass, uh, and they cut it once a year. And I just, you know, in the areas to improve is like we're doing our best to add anything to the properties that they do not provide already. I mean, that's the same reason we get hired, you know. Right. We travel these properties, and it's and we can identify what's missing or we can identify what the neighbors don't have that if we had it, it would help us. So a lot of that is what I try to do is I go in and I mean, a lot of people are mainly stressed out about, I got to get a deer stand up. That's all they worry about. And they get up there and they just stick deer stands up everywhere that they can see good. There's, if you can do it, which we can't do it in a lot of my properties cause they're CWD, but, uh, uh, if you can do it and put minerals out, then there, some of those guys are doing that just for the pictures, but not really strategically doing that either. And I, I noticed they're like, well, I got minerals down in those woods right there, and I get this picture. I was like, why you don't have that where you're hunting? Like, I mean, if you're going to put minerals out, why would you stick it in the woods where you can just hold up on it until dark? So a lot of those, you know, I just see a disconnect on a lot of hunters that were just – we're going out, we're sticking up stands, and now we're ready to hunt. Where I'm going in and trying my best to leave as much crop as I can afford and uh, the guys in the club can afford. And so we're providing late-season food, trying to keep them healthy, uh, attracting a lot of deer that may not even use the farm hardly, but when it's late-season, they're, they're leaving a lot of properties trying to find that late-season food, and that's us. So then if our habitat looks really great and they got the food, a lot of deer seem to stay. Um, and we, we've been successful at growing deer old by doing that, just always having the food and always having the security. Those two alone, if you can remove the thought of you hunting it, then it's great. Because uh, almost always I try to get out-of-town guys um, on these farms and it works so good because they're not there, but maybe a week to two weeks out of the year. And the rest of the time, the farm's resting and and collecting deer uh, from the neighbors it's because they are weekend warriors or they hunt a whole lot. So it, it, it just works out. So it works out great for the guys that get in because they're out of town. They travel in and the farm's been completely rested. Deer have no idea you're coming to hunt instead of – the farms right down the road or the one you live on, you just can't, can't help yourself. You go and hunt it, hunt it, hunt it. And the deer finally, you know, if you're sent staying around for 70 hours or more, I mean, 
they're going to know that you're hunting. So unless you really work on your access, that's another reason we get hired <laughs> is because we can find fine tune your access to where you can change and manipulate your habitat to where deer just almost do not use the areas that you're accessing. And that makes it key. I mean, if you can get in and get out and deer just don't have a clue that you're hunting them, uh, you're not hurting anything and you're going to see a lot more deer. The other piece of this is getting people on the same page as you. And obviously the members that you, you hunt with on some of these leases, they they're following you, right? They're, you're leading them to uh, success, but the ones around you, cause you know, th- these parcels that you, that are leasing, they, they may not be thousands of acres, right? They're less than a hundred acres in some cases. How does that work with you and the neighbors? Like, what do you, what do you think has been the connection there? They, they, people understand what you're doing and then they buy in. What's the, uh, how does that work? Well, if I can talk to the neighbors and understand that they are owners, it seems to work great because everybody wants to be able to shoot a big deer. So when I find out that they're owners, um, I, I communicate maybe a little more with those guys because they, they're wanting to improve what they have. You know, I've even had them end up hiring me because they're like, okay, you're, you're having sex success right next door. I need that on my place and I can't figure out why I'm not. You are right over there. So a lot of times they'll hire me and then their property becomes a continuation of our property and they join in on the success. But I mean, a lot of it is just the neighbors have to, you have to figure out what your gut is with the neighbors because a lot of like the ones that least seem to be, They'll tell you whatever they you need to hear. And then when it comes down to the season, they'll check in two or three times to see if you've got any shooters and if you're willing to share them. And then basically they'll send you a picture of a couple of your deer that you're passing that they've already shot. So it's kind of discouraging to know the neighbors sometimes, but then at the same time, uh, if, if they give you their word, you just hope they stick with it and, I normally won't ever share deer that we're passing unless it's just a deer I know for sure they're going to shoot. And then I'll, and I know we for sure don't want to shoot it. So I'll just say, look, I know this deer is super, you know, we had one with double drop times. I tried to get all the neighbors to not shoot him because he was three. And they were like, I can't promise you, but I'll try my best. I'll do it. And then ended up a, a neighbor that I didn't know ended up killing it. Uh, that year, which was last year. So, I mean, it's just a rare deal and I was just begging everybody, but I mean, you, you gotta try. I mean, you can't just not try and then and expect them to be on the same playing field. So, yeah, I mean, it worked, it worked out this year. I mean, we passed limpy, which was the velvet buck I shot and he was a mainframe six by six. And in Tennessee, you just literally do not have those. And, I knew anybody would have saw he was a 12 point. They're going to shoot him. And he didn't, you know, he didn't look like he had reached his potential. He'd been shot. He was limping. And I just felt like there was a year that needed to go by and he would just blow. And he did. I mean, he, he's probably in the one sixties again, also as a 13 point this year and was just crazy, crazy bigger. And, uh, we passed him eight times between three properties. So it worked on that deer. So there's another, and I think this is good for him to just talk about strategy because people worry about sharing photos and how that gets out and just, 
you know, the complications surrounding that, right? Intelligence and knowledge don't always go hand in hand, right? People want to take advantage and don't respect necessarily your goals and objectives. So I'm going to talk about raising the bar. So you've raised the bar and Perry, you, me and Perry talked about this a while ago, but you raised the bar and you keep raising the bar. It seems like there's a piece of this is like, how do you continue to maintain that? And obviously having more properties and and getting people influencing people around you, but like maintaining that is a big piece of this whole equation. So year in and year out, you have these excellent hunts and good experiences. Like I know there's stress in that because you're, you're putting your, you're putting pressure on yourself to shoot these older age class deer. But like when it comes right down to it and you've got a property, a lot of people are dealing with the scenario. They've got a property and they got neighbors around them and you know, they're not necessarily on the same page. Maybe some are, maybe some say they are, but they aren't, you know, some people are just weekend warriors. They want to go out and shoot a deer when they get a chance to whatever deer steps in front of them and gets killed. What is, what is the goal? Like if you're setting standards for yourself, you know, how do you do that in a situation like that? And, you know, what are ways that people can kind of improve their environments where they feel like, you know, they're able to get to that next age class that might be a, a stretch. And um, I, I kind of want to know your philosophy on that. It's kind of a loaded question. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, it's taken till probably last year was the first year that I just really had passed like a five-year-old and a six-year-old, which in Tennessee is like, people think you're nuts. Like <laughs> even my best friends think I'm nuts. Yeah. They're like, dude, why did you pass that deer? And I'm like, yeah, I've had a great year. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I had a real, like not a great year, they would have been in trouble probably. <laughs> but I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, I've, I've already had a good year. Why do I want to just stack on to this year? I'm letting that deer walk. So like the deer I just shot, this is a prime example. He was six and a half last year in the late season. I'm hunting the standing beans that I paid to leave behind. And he's out there eating with like five or six other bucks. Two of them are four year olds and one, and he's six years old. And I didn't shoot any of them because they weren't bigger than what I've already shot. They were just, they made it. You know, I felt like I was, they've made it through the season. This is late season. I'm three or four days from the end of the year. And I just couldn't do it. So I let them all walk. And my couple of my friends were just like, you're nuts. I can't believe you just videoed those deer and didn't shoot one. I was like, well, it's not always the case. Like I want to have a big deer to hunt next year. And my, 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 uh, big deer are bigger than most people's deer because I, I just, if you shoot the nice bucks, you can't shoot the good bucks. You can shoot the good bucks. You can't shoot the monsters. So I just, I've always had that little mindset and it's been really hard to do in Tennessee until here lately because it just keeps every year I get more and more and more and more bigger deer because I'm just not shooting more and more and more. And I mean, it makes no sense because people are talking about how much more and more success I've had, but it's literally, it's because I'm not shooting deer. (laughs) I I mean, if, if you, if you're not shooting deer, they're getting older and then before long, your age class is built up to the point where you're shooting the older deer and there's two or three other that are right there. You could have shot too. And if you need to, you can always bounce back and drop a four-year-old if you just need your success. <laughs> and that's kind of where I was at on the nine point. The first one, he was four. It's a new property. Don't know anything about the property. Just got it this year. 
and he was on the cameras like crazy. And I had one even bigger that was on the cameras that I really wanted. Well, he was just predictable. He just was very predictable. He hit the camera at 11 o'clock in the day and I couldn't help it. I was just like, <laughs> I think that's, I think it's maybe my biggest deer. But then again, if it's the nine point, if I see him, I'm probably not going to be able to pass him. And you know, he's in, he's probably up. 140 inch nine point in Tennessee. That's, you know, people are all posting, dude, that's a monster. That's a great buck, yeah. you know, because they just don't see them. And I, maybe I'm getting spoiled about how, I've, but it's taken five years, six years of doing this to finally get where, you know, out of 50, say 15 farms, I have five that'll have shooters for me. Those are rotate a lot of times, but then there's also one farm that always produce. It seems like one or two that just always have shooters. So, so. a couple, couple things you brought up here that I want to break down. One, um, the more, more, more mentality. I had a conversation with a potential client this morning out of Connecticut, and it was it's this theory that more is always better, and sometimes it's contentment with what you have and being realistic. The other piece of it is, and, and I've been dealing yeah. that with other clients and philosophies and just, you know, they, they buy a property, we get it to a great level and they're like, wait, we want better. We want more. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. In your area, you've hit the pinnacle. You know, c- can you do more? Sure. You can do more. We can do more with more land, but maybe some of the deer that you're seeing that the quality and, and, you know, your opportunities have gone up exponentially. I mean, how easy or how hard do you want to make it on yourselves? There's, there's a piece of that. The other thing is, it's like, you're trying to assess the local herd status based upon your, you know, your knowledge. And sounds like maybe you're creating a cultural shift in your area, which is another thing I want to talk about. But like, it seems like, you know, you're picking and choosing certain deer because of, you know, the, the environment that they're in. And obviously a deer that's killable, that's of good caliber and quality is compared to the area. Of course, that's on the list. It's just a matter of what other resources do you have, you know, uh, elsewhere or type of deer that you have elsewhere that you think, you know, meet your criteria. So you, you giving yourself so many options. It's almost like, and I, th- I think we talked about this in other podcasts between you and I, it's, just, it's like you're spreading yourself thin in that capacity, but you have an innate ability to remember things really, really well and put a story together and from the data and collection information that you have to go after a particular deer. And I think a lot of people struggle. I mean, if you got 13, 14 properties, and there's a hit list of 10 different deer. There's a story behind each one of those deer, and there's a strategy that goes into each one of them. And it's probably a slightly different strategy, but you're trying to figure out, you know, when they daylight. We, we had a separate podcast, you and I, on this, and you explained, you know, certain properties are hot at certain times. And, you know, you kind of play that all into this equation, and you, you basically develop an algorithm. And then for you, you're at a, such a fine point of saying, okay, yeah, possible to kill, right? Uh, not possible to kill of you know, age class and caliber where he might get the pass. And, and you kind of have these all documented listed out across these properties that for you, is just about an education thing, making sure everyone's, you know, of similar mindset to you, you're educating neighbors when necessary, but you're also showing people that it's possible with all the improvements and, you know, things that you're doing. I think people struggle to even get to the point where you were maybe a year or two ago. But I think the one thing that we talked offline and the one thing I took away from that conversation was it seems like, and this is just my take on, on your situation. It seems like you put, you put a little stress on yourself to be successful. Cause I, you're in the business of helping people. So you want to forecast that you know what you're doing. There's no question. You know what you're doing. I, I wish people wouldn't even question that at all. Right. You know what you're doing. You're doing it in a really tough area, but on the side, the same point of it is 
you're letting things go. You're building equity in your properties and you're also increasing the bank account, meaning you're like, you're stacking deer at such a high level that you're just attracting quality all over the place. And like, it's just a matter of when, like, you're just, when am I going to kill? And I feel like that, that was kind of our conversation uh, offline because you have spread yourself thin, which is a good thing. And that doesn't mean that you're, you're, you can't hunt those areas, but you're built up this bank account of great hunting properties. And it's just a matter of how you're managing things and fine tuning stuff. And, you know, like you don't hunt your own personal property very much because you're building the bank account. You're building the quality of deer on that property. And you know, to build it more, you got to do more work. And I'm putting words in your mouth, but that that's, I think that's kind of defining where you're at right now. I, I think any thoughts on what I just said? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm assessing you, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that. I see that. Um, no, I'm, I'm good with it. Cause I mean, you're right. It, it is, it is an investment. It is a, um, uh, an obsession, I guess. I mean, just to always try to have something like I'm thinking about next year more than this year, a lot of times. And I think that's where there is a disconnect on the hunters today is like, everybody's got to find success this year, this year, this year. And what they're doing is shooting themselves out of next year. And, and I, I really think that that's a big, a big problem. I see it all the time. Like they're, he's not a monster, but he was the first buck I saw this year, you know? Okay. But I mean, next year he would have been, you know, like if you would have just let him go, he would have been that monster nobody wants to eat a season it seems like it's like no no i know most of these hunters are not hungry <laughs> i mean we're not out there because we're trying to only feed our family if we are we're not even listening to this podcast you yeah, know right so so we're out there trying to learn how to shoot bigger deer but we're still out there shooting deer we're not shooting bigger deer so if you're not setting that bar for yourself you're just listening to other people do it instead of doing it yourself. And I feel like that's, that's what I see a lot of, man. It really is just disappointing because I know everybody that follows me or follows you or follows anybody in the field that's, that's successful in doing this stuff, they all want to be in our shoes, but nobody wants to do the work. Nobody wants to do, nobody wants to do the pass. Nobody wants to do, they all want to be able to take the pictures. And that's not how it works. Like you have to literally just grind. I, I'm out. I'll see my kids. I tuck them all in bed at nine o'clock. I'm putting my boots on. People are like going to bed. I'm going out, getting in the truck and I'm out till two in the morning, moving cameras around, putting out scrape trees, doing whatever I need to do. And everybody that doesn't have success has gone and done their, their trips and gone on their hunts and, talk about how they just didn't do it this year and they got stands halfway put up or putting them up during season and stuff. And I'm out at midnight doing these things after work and after spending time with the family and after everything's over. So, I mean, that's sometimes what it takes, but I'm willing to do it. And that's why I have the success I do. I think I was because I've done the work, I've done the study and I've done the moving the cameras and putting it on the deer that, where he should be and where he was last year. And I paid attention to the, to the history I've sat in the office for two hours, looking at last year's photos. I've wrote it all on a calendar who was in the daylight last year and what farm it was and what time of day it was and what was the weather. I mean, all that stuff doesn't just 
fall in your lap. And I mean, unless you're some rain man, I mean, it ain't going to happen unless you go and do the work. So I got, I mean, yeah, I got a couple questions from, from that um, little dialogue there. So there's two pieces of this and um, I'm kind of wondering your perspective on it. One, and I had a conversation with a client yesterday and he's out of Pennsylvania and um, he's had a consultant come out. I guess I'm the second consultant and hopefully we get him in the right direction and uh, happy he's, he's having me cause I'm going to, I'm going to fix some things, but he's got a pretty low deer population in his area. And he said, well, how long do, are we going to see results after, you know, you know, you coming on board? And I said, well, I, I'm there to advise. I'm going to give you the tools. It depends on the work to, to your point. The other piece of, of it was, and this is the, the big picture thing is, you know, with his numbers, the way that they are, I told him not to hunt it. And I've told multiple clients that listen to this podcast, don't hunt your property for, for a year or two. And they're like, are you crazy? I said, well, you can observe. And I said, if you think there's a deer of caliber that you think is at the level you want to meet, uh, or it's at the level where you think it's acceptable, then go after that deer. I said, but let them simmer, you know, build that bank account up. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And they said, so I'm doing all this work. And then the return is going to take, you know, happen in time. I'm like, then get that lease, go hunt public land, go fine tune your skills. Like you want to be a sharp hunter, go hunt where you have competition, learn from other people. And then obviously it, when you find success in these areas, you're going to learn what not to do. And that's, that'll play into your, your expertise as a hunter. So I would ask you the same question. If you had a client that came on board for you and they had, you know, a, a small quantity of deer, you know, the numbers were fairly low and, um, you know, this, this, this might, might not likely be ag country, but, you know, they have low numbers. What would you suggest to them, you know, outside the specific improvements? Would you say don't kill any deer I for mean, a while? I mean, I absolutely don't hunt my properties. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yeah. I've hunted, I've hunted 10 times, 15 times, if I was to probably shoot over it, this whole year. Season's been open for since September. and. I've literally hunted that many times. I don't hunt my properties. I just wait and I wait until I see something worth hunting. And if it ain't, if he's not there, I'm running enough cameras that eventually he will cross the camera. He may only hit it one time, but I will get a picture of him. And a lot of times I'm not going to lie. I'll check my cameras and there'll be a deer that I, man, I should have hunted that deer, you know? Yeah. But but he made if he made it he made it and that deer is going to be even bigger so then I'm really focusing next year on that deer, but the properties that don't have populations and all that I mean I'm with you, you just I mean really you should never hunt your properties you should observe your properties just like you said, and wait until they're huntable, and not every property is huntable because the deer aren't there or the the deer that you want is not there. You got to wait till he gets there, wait till he gets old enough to be the deer. And, and a lot of, a lot of people are just gotta have now. I mean, that's, that's the world today though. You know, I mean, that's, that's the way everybody is today. You have to have ease. You have to have success. Now you have to have whatever is easier. You'll pay for it. If I can, if I can kill this year, I'll pay you whatever. You know what I mean? And that's just the way the world works. And it's not the way that nature works. I mean, unless you want to go out and pay for 10 farms, then you're going to have three that are ready to hunt this year. So that's kind of how it is for me. I mean, I have 15 farms or plus, and I'm only going to hunt two or three. 
and you'll laugh at me is um, because of, you know, my kids being home and, and um, you know, I travel a lot. I don't like to leave home during hunting season. So I don't spread myself out thin. And I, I put a lot of emphasis on, on my primary property and hunting it at the right time and being strategic about it. And then just playing off some of the things like I hunt this lease with a few other guys. And, you know, I, I'm just really strategic about the time and place. And, you know, there, there's a couple three-year-olds that I passed up there this year. I haven't even talked about it to some of the guys in the property because I'm trying to see if I can get one or two of those making it to that four-year-old age class. And I, I keep some things to myself, generally speaking, because I, I want to hunt at the next level. And, and the only way to do that is is to, I share, I mean, I share certain things with certain guys in that property, but you know, it's very, I'm very strategic about what I do and what I go after and why. And I feel bad for these, you know, I talked to this one uh, local property. He's like, I've barely seen any deer this year. He's got five times the five times, 10 times the amount of property that I have. And I'm like, you know, and, and you sit there and you ask yourself, you spent all this money on these $100,000 tractors and this and that. And, and he goes, well, I do timber management. I'm like, boy, who's ever doing mm-hmm. your timber management needs to uh, stop down to my house. I'll give them a good conversation to help them out because they're not doing you any justice up there. But it, doesn't that stuff just, you're just, the opportunity is there. And I'm not yeah. envious of his opportunity. I just, you're wasting, you're wasting that opportunity. And it's your mindset. Yeah, and they, oh yeah, and they, and the thing is, is you just don't want to, you don't necessarily want your neighbors doing everything you're doing. Oh, that's, that, well, and, and I don't, and I don't want to be rude. I, I would never, I, and I probably come across this this right now as being a little bit arrogant or rude, but like, I just, you know, if I was in that same situation and I had those resources, the success that I would have would be, um, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't get over, it, and it bothers me that these people spend. Again, they have a huge focus on hunting, but they don't put the energy into it, and they don't know what they they really want to do, and they don't they don't know how to have a positive outcome, seeing uh, that they're not at the point where they should be, and they easily could be, and there could be a conglomerate of them, and they could have world class hunting. And I think even the guys, there's another lease down the road here. You know, I, I actually have a clients that are adjacent to them, and they're stealing deer from this client. It's kind of it's kind of funny to me. I feel like it's a it's a big deal to me that you know, that they're doing all the right things to make it happen. And some of those clients are willing to do that. Some of them just aren't, and they don't listen. So what I'm going to ask you now, I think it's, this is another important, you, you mentioned data and looking at, you know, information all the time. There's tools out there. And I, I know that, you know, there's wise Eye has tools and they're, they're, they have like algorithms. Is there a piece of this hunting? We're getting to the point where there, there's a lot of information available to, you know, people through apps and there's tools like Deer Lab, et cetera, is the predictive modeling piece of this. Do you pay much attention to that or you just have your own formula that you kind of come up with when you're you're kind of building, you know, your your, your strategy for a particular deer? I kind of want to know what you do personally. So I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in there are definitely factors that improve movement, improve big buck movement especially and a lot of these apps and a lot of these different things even the wise eye stuff i mean they need work (laughs) they're not going to tell you when you're going to kill him i mean they can tell you what when a lot of these things line up and if you're not knowledgeable enough to to know and you're not obsessed enough to know the things that are really triggering movement and triggering big buck movement 
I mean, if you don't have all that in your back pocket and you're looking for it, then yes, I mean, those apps really do help because they, they tell you the basics. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, there's times I look at them and there's times I'm like, I didn't even look at them uh, at all hardly this year because I'm, I know what I'm looking for myself, you know? So, I mean, Eliza has all that stuff on the cameras and that's awesome, but their prediction part is really off a lot. And then, but the, and I've, I've offered to even help them with it, but I have noticed it be off a lot, a whole lot on the, on the prediction. So I usually just pull up the cameras myself and study the deer and you know every deer is different so how are you going to know how are you going to predict what a, what my deer is doing when he likes the west wind in my spot how are you going to predict what my deer is doing when he likes the north wind i mean he likes a certain wind at certain spots it's not necessarily a deer in general you know and that's what they're a lot of these apps are doing is just predicting the movement of whitetail deer and 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 those aren't even correct a lot yeah, you know, yeah. I know the juries. I know the juries have have said I've watched them kill a big deer and have filled up full of deer and and then say their app said poor, you know. And then I've also seen it say great a whole lot. Of course, they're going to emphasize that, so you'll buy the app. But I mean, that's just that's just. But it is helpful because it's taking some of most of the things that we're all looking for anyway, and it it's doing it without you having to spend the time to figure it out so i mean it cuts down on your patterning stuff but i don't i'll be honest i don't have any apps that i look at i just if i do look at anything i'm looking at the sunrise and the moon phase if i want to i mean just a curious but it's not predicting when I, how i hunt a deer it's mainly the deer i study like I, I study him and his personality and and how he travels and works and and scent checks and uses the area that I've got him. And, you know, that's totally different everywhere in his whole path. Um, and it changes there throughout the season. A lot of people don't even understand, like, how deer change in the rut and scrapes. And, you know, I've had guys tell me that they're going to pull all their cameras off the scrapes and start sticking them on the food already. And I was like, dude, this is a lockdown. You do know that as soon as they leave the does, they're coming right back to your scrapes. Like, why are you going to pull them now? <laughs> it doesn't, you know, but I mean, I think there's a a lot of people that just don't study deer to the point where they know what deer should be thinking. And I mean, I'm not saying I'm freaking smart as a deer, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm also saying that deer aren't that smart, you know? Yeah, like I, they they yeah. show they got a lot of weaknesses that if you're good enough, you know, if you're looking for it, you see it. So yeah. I, I mean, I killed my big deer. I'm, I'm gonna tell you this that that deer that I just killed, I literally hung the stand to kill him four years ago. Never hunted it once it. But this is how low pressure I try to hunt my big deer. Like I literally, I won't go. So I was only hunting this deer on east winds, which east winds would put him in the field scent check in the woods. And the field was full of standing corn this year. So I was like, that's even better. It's going to be, I paid for corn to be standing. I planted turnips and stuff and clover corner. I mean, I did everything I could do to put another percent in my, in my side of the game. And uh, everything was set up great for the box stand. I sat in the box stand that morning and, or the morning before, and I was like, you know what? This wind is 
is borderline for this box is actually blowing more northwest and i i usually only hunt the northeast but it's prime day it's the it's the rut it's right now or never so i bailed off down into my ladder that was set up for the west wind i'd set it up four years ago for that west wind if i ever got it i always try to set this one one area up for the kill i went down in there first sit 10 30 here comes here comes that first big eight i shot him I went the very next, that evening, my big boy's out there chasing does in the corn. I'm like, what the heck? He's still there. So then I went, I went back the very next day. Here he is, 10, 10, 28. He comes slipping through and I kill him. Same exact stand, same stand, same trail, same everything. He, he sprayed blood on the, on the body print of the other deer. And I mean, but it was, it was the Western that, and I went back and researched. I had 95% of my pictures were in that area on the West winds. Mm. And I was like, I was like, what the heck? I've been hunting this deer totally wrong for four years. Cause I mean, we were trying to kill him years ago cause he was a nice deer, but, and then I always hunt the East because I always wanted to sit in that box stand, you know? But then this was my first time I got in it two sits in a row, both, Midday kills, you know, didn't see a single deer until I saw them and it's just, but it was, they're getting up out, out from running all night and bedded up. And then they got up and they're cruising, looking for the next round of does, you know, they didn't find what they needed, thankfully. And they were cruising, using the wind coming down that ridge, dumping in the bottom. And I'm hunting on the very, very low one third or actually almost in the bottom because the wind was blowing into it. And he's going to, he's cruising that lower one third, just like they always do. Yep. I think there's a lot of this, like this example here where people don't, there's a finite way to actually approach a spot like that where, you know, it's, you're on the hairy edge of success. You know what I mean? And you just, you're picking mm -hmm. the right time and place based on that level of data that you've had over time. And the fact that you're manipulating it to get them to flow through there a little easier certainly makes, makes the shot opportunities a little easier. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's a, that's a positive. Anyway, yeah, I mean, the manipulation part was just literally where my stand was. I made sure he couldn't really go downwind of it. Yeah. So you do hinging, you do whatever you need to do to make sure that they can't go downwind if they're cruising that bottom. They come up through your shooting spot, your shooting area. And, you know, but all that's thought out four years before I kill him. I, I, I set up to kill him four years ago. And it was seriously, that's what it was set up for. And I never sat in that stand one day because I was, I was, you know, and every year I was finding success on the East wind at the top. So, I mean, it, it was working, but it just wasn't working on that deer. Right. So then when I finally figured it out, I was like, I knew I would get him late season if he survived the rut because I had everything. But at the same time, I was like, I'd rather not wait to the rut and see if somebody else gets him. <laughs> Yeah. So I went in, I went in for that West wind and, and, you know, if I had to go set it up and do all that, I mean, it could have probably put a little too much scent and he could have caught it that night before, you know, and oh, yeah. ruined ruin my chances. So everything that's exactly, it's the plan, man. Like you, we do. I mean, if you have a plan and you have it set up correctly and you've done the work ahead of time, it's just a matter of going in and, and picking up the, the little hints that they drop and and actually i mean a light came on i was like oh my god i need to be down there 
and I just went down there and I killed two days in a row, two different bucks. One was a stranger buck I didn't even know. And I, think, I have one blurry wow. picture of him down there. Wow. One blurry picture. Yep. Uh, I mean, this is an impressive conversation. Hopefully the audience recognizes, you know, that you put a lot into this, this, uh, this business and obviously with your clients and, you know, it's tough that, um, yeah, not everyone gets it. You know, there's not a one size fits all for all this stuff. And you just brought up a point. It evolves and changes. And, you know, it's not these apps, it's, it's you and it's your, your understanding of what's going on. I think in the future and, you know, I wanted to get you back on to talk about your deer kills, but we got in some more detail here, which I think was fantastic. You know, your wealth of knowledge is incredible. And I think with anybody who's been on this podcast, you know, Rocky and the rest of the crew, to me, it seems like everyone brings their own, you know, flavor uh, into this equation. Beyond the fact that you're a killer, you you really kind of have a good fine eye of looking at, you know, data and observing what deer naturally want to do in the landscape and amplifying that to your benefit. And I think a lot of people just, you know, walk into these, I'll just talk about something today really quick. So, so, and then we'll try to end this thing is I constantly listen to somebody saying to me, I watch this YouTube video and it gives me good information and I'm trying to leverage that in my design and layout. And I keep saying to them, I'm like, all right, it's a great place to start. And it sounds like you're open to transformation and, and doing something better on your property. I said, but that's a starting point. We got to be way more specific and to be successful, it is hunting less, putting more time in, but being specific in your improvements. And I think one thing that folks lack is to be more specific means you need to know what changes you should make on your property in order to evolve it. Rocky's raised the bar. We're probably calling this podcast raising the bar to big bucks because this is what it sounds like. But in order for him to get there, there's all those other factors that came into that equation that have allowed him to not just him himself, but we talked offline. Um, I'm going to work on a client that was actually just, just on we're hunting with you. And you know, it's tough because these guys, some, some guys get it and some guys don't. And the guys that get it, or excuse me, the people that get it, they recognize the fact that, you know, just surely their, their work ethic is going to get them ahead, but having the real plan, like you said earlier, having the plan is going to be what makes the changes make sense to to the individual. So when the hunting comes into play, they got a they got a shot in the game. But they're they're doing all the analysis work, and they're not relying on an AI tool to tell them today's a good day to hunt. And that's not a bash on DeerCast or Spartan Forge or any of those other apps that are out there. It's just saying that your particular deer that you're going to go after are used to their environment and they utilize it in a certain way at a certain time, and they prefer things greater than other things, and that allows you to assess when and why. And if you can do that, your hunting will get that much easier this season. And this is what I kind of got out of this podcast today, Rocky. I agree, man. I, I think that uh, I'll probably get some flack for saying this, but it, it does become easy almost because you, you're literally waiting on certain tales and certain certain things that you've already built in your plan. You've already built this whole scenario. You've already envisioned this deer doing a certain thing in that area. And that, I think that's why we get hired is because we've seen so many properties and we've seen so many setups that were wrong or, or, or that were almost right. And if we just do this or just do that and just change this and change that, and then just wait, don't hunt it wait until the scenario happens and then when it does you're already set up you're ready all you have to do is go in there and kill it's easy 
You just go in there and make and and spend the hours that you need to spend. It's all done. Yeah. All the hard work's done. It's all on the plan. It's already set up. He's trapped. That's why I call it deer buck traps. I mean, he's trapped. He's literally when he's there, he has nothing else that he can really do. He's we've already set him up. It's already set up for the done deal. You just have to be there. If you can't be there, then you might have missed it. You know, but I think that that's the luxury that of hiring one of us is, that's done it and so many times and help people figure it out is because we can actually see it on your property. It's like an app. An app can't see your property, doesn't know your deer. The app can tell you generically what's going on. A geographic map, I mean, can tell you generically how your property should be laid out, but until you actually put your boots on the ground and you've gone in and you see and you check the thermals and you see the currents and you see what's going on in that location. I mean, how do you know? Yeah. I how, do you know how do you know how to set it up? Yeah. And I was telling everyone today earlier, I had that conversation earlier with a client this, this morning and I told them everything that was wrong with my property and I told them how they fixed it and how I took a north sloped property and I emphasized interest during, you know, the, the warm periods as well as the cool mm-hmm. periods and to make a North slope property hunt better in cool periods. Like right now I just had a, when we're sitting here talking, I just had a buck go right through the center of my property. Uh, anybody would shoot this deer. And I just said to myself, I'm changed. I'm in December. It's 28 degrees out today. They're using my property two years ago. Didn't happen. So I'm emphasizing yep. interest on my property. It's a North slope property during the time where they're starting to disperse and they're not utilizing North slope properties. So that just goes to show you, there's a lot you can do as long as you set up a, up correctly where the deer are going to use it. They're going to change your annual patterns because of the all the emphasis and changes that you develop on your property. And in that case, it really is habitat development, period. I mean, as the habitat work mm-hmm. evolves, that's why the deer are interested on my property. And, you know, they're not dispersing like they typically do, you know, in December. And so my late season hunting on North Slope property is actually going to increase, which is like, Wait, how, how's that even feasible, right? We got a couple inches of snow on the ground today. It's 28, it's windy, tough day, but the deer are moving. And a mature buck just moved across my property. So I'm, you know, I, it just goes to show you that you can you can evolve your property with these changes. And this is, hopefully it's an empowerment thing for folks. You know, whether you hire somebody or not, it doesn't matter. But you can make it happen. If, if I can do it, you can do it. I mean, and Rocky's really, I feel like you're at a level above me, Rocky, when it comes to caliber deer and, and situational awareness, you know, from a standpoint of just having more properties and options and dialing things in. It's that hard work ethic. I feel like I'm on the road too much. I feel like I need to be home working more. And at the same point, you've done so many things intelligent on your property that I think people can just learn from. So, you know, I hope this year is a great year. I hope people listen to this and, and realize like, you know, these are talented people that are on this podcast and guys like Rocky are hard to find. And, um, you know, it makes sense to, to hire somebody some experience. I hope I hope you and I get to work together sometime because I'm talking with a few other guys that are on this podcast and, you know, we're hoping to do some work together and um, in the future. So maybe there's a chance we'll get to work together on a, a property. And I, I think I'd, I'd really appreciate that. And certainly I, I'd like to hunt with you sometime. So. Yeah, well, I'm I'm all open for that. It sounds great. Um, I appreciate you putting all the heat on me. So thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think people recognize your success, and I want to just you know echo that so people realize how well you've done over the years. And um, you know, you're somebody that people should pay attention to, and good natured, and uh, God, you know, God loving, and, and certainly you're focused on the right things. And I think people certainly appreciate you know, the value you bring to the table. So I just kind of want to end with that. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll thank you so much. And I just wanted to make sure that whoever's listening just does not think that I am walking around on a high horse and th- thinking I know everything. Is I get taught every single year by these deer, and and I learn, and I try to adapt, and I try to work that into what I do. So, I mean, I know that my personality is like when I believe something, I believe it, and I really am strongly standing behind it. And no matter what everybody else is doing, I just really believe it, it's why it worked and what works. But it doesn't always mean it's right, you know. So I just wanna wanted to put that out there because I know a lot of people will say, you know, he's a narcissist, he's whatever, you know, just all he wants to do is tell you how he does it. But at the same time, I mean, I have I have been successful, so I mean, I just can't. It's just hard to ignore some of the things that works. Yeah, and I think I think you're also open to change, and I think a lot of people realize that you know there's new things, new concepts, new ideas. I mean, just a couple of years ago, Rocky, we were really focused on building walls of cover, and now what we're focusing, I mean, there's some new strategies that we're coming up with, and you know, uh, one of the things that I want to be focused on is we're building the ecology on the property, so you're getting more you know grouse or other types of animals that may not be your focal species, like you may not be a big turkey hunter, but we're giving opportunities for turkeys to be on the property. Again, they bec- they could become a resource and uh, a value to you. They can they're certainly a value to the ecology, and it's just increasing the volume of animals. It's just emphasizing what really animals need on the landscape and being as specific as possible. I see a lot of willy nilly people. You know, hey, I've got a forest land setting and I want to start planting trees. I'm like, wait, do you have a forest land setting and you're starting to plant trees? It seems like you've learned something on a YouTube channel that says you got to plant trees. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that I'd start focusing on tree planting in a forest setting unless, you know, the entire property needs to be, you know, restored. And, you know, I think there's people in different situations have purpose behind your activity. Uh, I talked to somebody today about TSI project and he spent, I don't know. $30,000, $40,000 to come in, Um, he paid them to come to do a TSI project. And I thought that was absolutely beneficial. And I I also feel like his decision to do that was without purpose, though. He just said, well, I'm going to increase the understory. And we're going to take most of the timber out that isn't of value, um, and I'm going to pay them to do that, and a reasonable amount of money, and uh, the end result is going to be better deer habitat. I said, hold on, not so much. I said, what locations, why did you, I mean, I'm getting yeah, foot there's by no foot. plan. Yeah, there's no plan. <laughs> there's no plan. And he's like, well, how long do you think it's going to take to my hunting gets better? And, and I, I met with this other guy that does consulting and he said two to three years. And I said, I, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you any time. I said, you know, it, there's way more than just cutting trees that when is your hunting getting better? You know, it's a holistic kind of approach, but improving oh. the ecology and improving the, the timber quality is good. And he immediately told me after that, I, and I, I love I love this guy. I'm, I can't wait, wait to consult on him. I immediately told me after that was his goal was not timber quality, and they did a timber timber stand improvement. They did a, yeah, they did a timber quality improvement instead of deer. And so yeah. I said, and I said to him, I said, timber stand improvement has its purpose in the landscape, and it's it's purposeful in certain areas for sure. Mm-hmm. But I said you just hauled out a whole bunch of opportunity resources that could be better a betterment to the existing ecosystem with leaving a lot of those trees in there and just picking maybe the right species for the purpose but cutting some of that timber that needs to be cut but leaving it resident don't taking it all out for other reasons i'm not saying don't take timber out i'm saying take some timber out but not you know the the way they do these tsi projects is a lot of times they'll come in 
They'll pull out the timber, they'll chip it, they'll firewood it, pallet it, right? They're going to take all that. Resources typically don't stay in the forested land. And what happens is you're just degrading your woodlot by taking resources out of there. And I'm a big advocate of having renewable resources on the landscape. And the way to do that is to leave timber on the landscape. And I'm not saying don't cut the timber. I'm saying if there's resident timber there that you want to improve, improve it. But also at the same point, leave some of those resources so those timber trees that are adjacent get the benefit of it. And by the way, that's going to improve moisture in the landscape, protect it. It's going to protect other, you know, young herbaceous plants or woody plants that are going to grow up in those areas. It's going to build, you know, the necessities that you need to attract, improve wildlife, cover security, the whole nine. And I'm just going on a rant because I just feel like, you know, have a purpose behind this. And this podcast shows, you know, you know what, what to do. And, and uh, you know, I think, I think there's a reason behind anything, you know, everything that we do. And there should be. Uh, we shouldn't just willy-nilly walk through the world without a plan. So uh, that's, yeah. yeah you ta- you definitely tap. Yeah, you're tapping into something that I could talk another hour about. So. <laughs> All right, well, we're, we'll, have you, we'll have you back on soon. We'll start, uh, we'll start talking to the projects, uh, things that you're working on. You know, we're going to get you back here in probably a month. And then, um, you know, you, Perry, the rest of the gang, and just start talking about what we got going on this season. Projects, clients, everything we're going to go on, things that we're going to learn and teach on this podcast to get people, you know, head of the game. So I appreciate you, Rocky, man. I, I love talking to you. You're a breath of fresh air. And I, I, uh, I'm going to, we're going to post one of your monster bucks on this, uh, this particular uh, podcast. And, uh, you know, I hope your client season goes well. Oh man, I appreciate you and all that you do, man. And good luck this season as you as you go th- go forward, buddy. All right, brother. Talk soon. See ya. All right, thanks. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com. <laughs>